This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. tried to seek the Lord to the best of my ability over the last couple weeks on our direction and where he would have us to go and how he would have us to seek him. And many of the thoughts and many of the things I believe that he put on my heart or in some roundabout way, preached during our revival, which was awesome. It was just confirmation to me that the Lord was speaking directly to us. And so, Lord has led me to this thought, to this idea that we're going to venture through over the next little while of a new heart. And we're going to walk through the book of Ezekiel, And we're going to look at the works of the prophet. We're going to look through the visions and the life that he lived out. And there's several different avenues that we're going to take. And we're going to walk through this. But all of this gears around Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, I've given you a new heart. Removed your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. And I believe that during our time together, that the Lord has really transformed us and he really took us through a true revival over this last week. And I believe that that meant for some of us literally taking a heart of stone and replacing with a heart of flesh. And so we're going to walk through this series of conversations over the next little while, a new heart. And so I want to start today from the very beginning And I want to read you a long passage. I don't know whether I'll read this all together or whether we'll talk through it. I just know we're going to get through it. Amen? And I need you to be creative with me. Because this passage of Scripture is very interesting. And if you don't let your mind and your imagination kind of of wonder just a little bit and you don't let it kind of try and draw a picture for you, you're going to miss the heart of the conversation today. In fact, as I've continued to study, even as I've read through this again this morning, as I continue to read this passage of Scripture, the Lord still is drawing it in my mind, and my mind's eye is still putting this together in a way that it makes sense. So I know that I'm asking you to do something that is going to be different. We see what we see. We see the physical right here, right now. And the idea of what Ezekiel talks about is very foreign to us. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And and it really is something almost like out of a sci-fi movie or out of some kind of crazy kid's fairy tale book. But you almost have to let your mind wonder and really allow the scripture to draw this for you the way that your mind sees this. Okay? You with me? I know that's an interesting thought and an interesting introduction to this, but you'll understand maybe. 
I am reading this out of the New Living Translation because I believe it will allow our minds to draw the picture just a little bit better because it takes out some of the verbiage and some of the wordiness. So chapter 1, verse 1 says, On July 31st of my 30th year, while I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kibar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. That in itself is pretty awesome. Wouldn't you love to be sitting beside a river and heaven open up and you just begin to see visions of God? Amen. He says, I saw visions of God. This happening during the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzi, a priest beside the Kibar River in the land of Babylonians, and he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. He says, and as I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north. Driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked like or looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings. Up to this point, it makes a little bit of sense, and then we get to the point where they got four faces and four wings, and I tell you, you have to use your imagination. But right off the bat, you need to understand that when Ezekiel saw this vision of the Lord, he's by the river, they're in a place of exile, they're in a place of of, uh, being cast away, he's there with the the Judeans, and they're, they're in this exile point of their life, the Babylonian exile, and he's there by the river, and it says, the Lord's hand come upon him. That's important, and it's a very important statement not to leave out because for us to receive the vision of God that God wants us to have, the hand of the Lord has to rest on us. Amen? We can't create this. We can't make this up. The stuff that Ezekiel saw, my mind don't let me think like this. I can't see somebody with four faces and four wings. It doesn't work. To see what God has, the hand of the Lord has to rest on us. But not only that, what really caught my my attention as I looked at this was the very first thing he saw was a great storm approaching. The New King James said he saw a whirlwind approaching. And it looked like a terrible thunderstorm. It was lightning and flashing and there was a great cloud. And see, what what the Lord kind of began to put on me just a little bit through this process is when the vision of the Lord starts to come and the Lord starts to put something on us and, and he wants to, the hand of the Lord rested on us and he's ready to show us something. He's ready to, to take us out of our box a little bit. It looks like a dark cloud thunderstorm from a distance. And if we're not careful, we get caught up on the dark cloud. We get caught up on the gloomy sky of what it looks like coming at us and we miss the glory shining in the middle of the storm. You with me? If we're not careful, that applies to everything in our life. I believe every storm that comes, if we look and we're seeking God, God puts glory right in the middle of every storm we walk through. I know some of the worst ones that that I've been through, some of the worst ones that, that Micah and I have walked through together, some of the worst ministry storms we've walked through. Any area of life, if you look back and you really seek the face of the Lord, if you would take your eyes off of the dark, gloomy, dark clouds, there's glory to be found on the inside of the storm. Amen? Because he's a good father. What's really interesting I don't know where the translators messed it up. But the word they used for storm 
And the word they used for whirlwind is actually ruah. And if you know anything about language, ruah does mean wind. But it also is the same word used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The exact same word that the translators used when they translated Genesis, for the Spirit of God is the exact same word that the translator of Ezekiel used when he's explaining this thunderstorm that's coming that contains the vision of God. What does that have to do with anything? What appears to be a storm in the first place could be the very Spirit of God trying to move into our life and trying to shake things up a little bit. That's deep, and maybe it don't hit you like it hits me, but when I see hear, hear the thunder start rolling in life, and when I see the lightning start cracking, I really don't want to stand outside and watch it thunder and lightning. I don't mind watching it out the window, and I don't mind maybe standing on the screen porch, but I don't really want to walk through the wet parking lot and the lightning. But this cloud, this storm that's coming at Ezekiel was, in its very essence, the Spirit of God. We learned this past week that as the Israelites traveled, they put the ark in front of them everywhere they went. They protected the presence of God. They followed the presence of God. They followed the Spirit of God. It led them. It protected them. This is no different. This follows right along because Scripture always keeps in line with itself decently and in order. And before God himself even showed up, we hadn't even made it to the crazy part. We see this dark thunderstorm that in itself is the Spirit of God. So he goes on and he said, out of that cloud, it's, it's burning. It says that it engulfed itself with flames. It's a ball of fire glowing, shining brightly from the inside out. Knowing that this cloud represents the Spirit of God and the Spirit lives within us, shouldn't our life be glowing from the inside out? Shouldn't, as we approach, maybe we look like a dark cloud, I'm not going to lie to you, my face ain't always the pleasant face that maybe it is right this second. I may look like a dark cloud when I'm coming, but the glory of God should be shining through me because the Spirit of God is inside of me, I should be no different, right? Right? So this is where it gets crazy. And I never really got into the fairy tale kind of stuff when I was younger. So for me, this stuff is a little bit far-fetched. But he said, From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked like humans, except they had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet had hooves of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. Under each of their four wings, I could see human hands. 
So each of the four beings had four faces, four wings. The wings of each living being touched the wings of the being beside it. Each one moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. You need to kind of picture this in some way, shape, or form. I'll try to explain it the best way that my mind's eye sees it, and then you allow your mind to be creative. There's four beings that are standing up as of man. He said he saw that their legs are straight. That means they're standing tall. They're in a posture of movement. They're in a posture ready to go one direction or another. These beings had four faces. On the front was one of man, one of lion, one of oxen, and one of an eagle. That means if I stand perfectly still and I'm one of these creatures, no matter which direction, north, south, east, or west, I have a face of some way, shape, or form that's ready to take on anything that I come in contact with. It said that they had four wings. Two of the wings were stretched out. Two of the wings covered the body. I told you, you got to go with me. But if you can picture in four different corners, four different beings, what's really cool is if you go to the book of Revelation, John saw the exact same thing. They're cherubim. So it's not some crazy thing that Ezekiel's come up with years and years and years and years and years later. John saw the exact same thing. Revelation chapter 4. There's four creatures standing in four different corners. And it says that their wings are stretched out and their wings touch. Through this craziness, through this challenge for me, I started looking for characteristics of the Spirit of God that were in this situation that Ezekiel saw. Well, you look at the four faces. The face of man represents intelligence, where God's masterpiece. The face of the lion represents courage. It's the, the king of the jungle. He's the king of, of the, the habitants here on this earth. He's the king of the food chain. And then you've got an ox who represents the most uh, strongest domesticated animal that's here on earth. And then you've got the eagle who represents speed, agility, can be way, way, way up in the air and see something with that eagle eye way down on the ground. Up above the clouds, this ability to fly high above the clouds and seek out its prey or, or even seek protection or, or seek a shelter from way, way up above everything else. And so I thought, when the Spirit of God is moving and we're experiencing the Spirit of God, we're living in that, and God is pouring out His Spirit on us. When we, see, we look at the characteristics of God, we see strength, we see courage, we see wisdom, intelligence, we see agility, we see different ability that's supernatural that now allows us to go in any way, shape, or form. Wherever we go, we're walking with this supernatural authority. But their wings touched. I said, Lord, why does their wings have to touch? Why do their wings need to touch? They're in four corners. I see it as 
In the old days when the Ark of the Covenant was being carried and the men would carry the Ark of the Covenant, they were placed and this picture actually was drawn on the Ark. If you go back and read in the book of Exodus, they had put this on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. Why did their wings touch? And I truly believe that the Lord dropped it in my spirit. Their wings touch because there is strength, there's protection, and there's power in unity. These four different beings were no longer four beings when they touched. There's something special about a simple point of contact. Scripture tells us to pray with the laying on of hands. We know that if, if you're married, you got a husband or a wife, uh, you know that your spouse wants you to touch them in some way, shape, or form. That's just a, a, there's a connection that's made. It's a psychological connection. We get together, we bind together, we prayed this morning. The, the worship team, we prayed, we joined hands when we prayed, just as a sign of unity. There's strength, there's power, there's protection when we're unified. A characteristic that is clearly seen is unity. It's interesting that he says in verse 12, he says that the cherubim go whatever direction the Spirit chose. And they move straight forward in any direction without turning around. He goes on and he says, The living beings look like coals of fire and brilliant torches. Lightning seemed to flash back and forth among them. Can you picture this at all? It's not easy for me, but if you really will allow yourself to try to picture this and you see these four different beings standing together, their wings touching, Standing straight and tall in unity, power, authority is rolling within them, and lightning is flashing back around them. It's this crazy scene. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to witness this. He goes on, and in verse 15, he says, And I looked at these beings. I saw four wheels touching the ground beside them, one wheel belonging to each. The wheels sparkled as if made with barrel. All four wheels looked alike and were made the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. Well, if these beings can go forward, backward, side to side without ever turning, then their wheels need to be able to do the same, right? So their wheels are crossed. It's a wheel and it's a cross wheel. They're going this way, this wheel's pushing them this way, they go this way, this wheel pushes them this way. We're building a chariot. Each of the four beings are the power to move the chariot. They're simply following wherever the master tells them to go. And the wheels give the ability for the chariot to move. And then he says that the wheels, it actually says that they are tall and frightening. The King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, the English Standard, all of them translate that word frightening to awesome. But if you go back to the original word, it actually means frightening. That they were so large to Ezekiel when he looked at them, he said that they were, they were tall and almost frightening at their height, at their size. And they were surrounded with eyes. 
Does that make any sense to you at all? You can be honest, it, it may not. It's hard to imagine. And that's my point today. I'll tell you in a minute. But these wheels that allowed this chariot to move were surrounded with eyes. I googled the chariot and the cherubim just to see what I could find and see how people had attempted to depict this. And one was very interesting that it was a tall bronze, real thin looking, and the picture real thin looking wheel and eyeballs lined up all around it, surrounding it. It looked pretty weird. But what I took from this is that the wheels that gave the ability for this chariot to move had to have vision. The cherubim had eyes that had eight eyes. Eight. Had to count, make sure I'm missing it. There were eight eyes. And they were the authority, they were the ones carrying the chariot, but the wheels that give the the, the wheels that allowed you look at it, we're we're building this thing down, and I don't maybe I won't read the rest of it. You got the wheels that are making contact with the ground. You've got these creatures, the cherubim, that are over the wheels. You've got one wheel per creature. Over that, you've got a, a divide that almost looks like sky. And it's sparkling, it's glistening, and it's, it's sitting on top of the creatures. And on top of that is the throne. And sitting on the throne is God the Father. So we've got God on the throne... We've got the cherubim, and now we've got the wheels. The contact with this earth is the wheels. The cherubim give the direction. All of it follows wherever the spirit goes. It came in on a cloud, remember? Wherever the spirit goes, the creatures and the wheels follow. You can find that all throughout that passage. Several different different times it said, where the spirit move, they move. I started thinking about the idea in the first place of God himself riding on a chariot. I picture God seated up in heaven on a throne and Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. And the visions that Ezekiel has seen, God's on a chariot. You ever seen a chariot that sat still? God is omnipresent everywhere all the time. His presence was here from the beginning. His presence will be here when me and you are dead and gone. But Ezekiel saw something so special. He said that when he saw it, he fell flat down on the ground. But the presence of God came to Ezekiel. And what the Lord kind of showed me, 
I believe wholeheartedly is that the throne of God sits on a chariot because it's constantly moving. It's not steel. And we as people, if we're not careful, disconnect ourselves from the movement. I picture this as God the Father being sitting. He's sitting on that throne. He's the Father. Jesus, and you just bear with me, this is me, and I'm just putting it together how I see it, okay? God the Father's on the throne. He sent his Son, which represents the layer of the cherubim. You and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are the wheels. We're the connection from God to the earth. Always moving in strength, in courage, in wisdom, in, in agility, in ability. Because we've got the characteristics of those four attributes of the creatures, right? But then all of this thing revolves around fire. Fire is the symbol of God. And I'm in the shower this morning and I'm thinking about fire. We've experienced the fire of Pentecost this week, amen? You ever seen a fire burn that looks the same every time it burns? It's always changing, ever changing. I didn't even mean for this message to really go just like this. Ever changing. And when chapter 2 begins, the Lord said, hey, get up, son. I need to talk to you about something. I know this is crazy. Maybe you've got a much more creative mind than I do. Maybe you can picture this, and from the very beginning, you had it all together. It's taken me two weeks to form the picture in my mind that I have formed of what this looked like. I don't expect you to in 30 minutes. But here's what the Lord kind of put on my heart. You and I have been repositioned and we've had a heart transplant. We got a new heart. This body, this family, look around you. Really. We've had a heart transplant. The body went nowhere. The body's still intact. Jesus is still the head. The arms are still in place. The fingers are still in place. The legs, the toes, the liver, the spleen, that nasty little gallbladder. This body's still intact. But there's no denying that we've had a heart transplant. Amen. 
And so all of this crazy conversation went to say this. Ezekiel saw a cloud. In the middle of the cloud was the glory. His mind had to have been opened in some crazy, miraculous way for him to see the glory of God the way he saw it. Me and you sitting here today don't comprehend what he saw, right? We don't. I don't believe that we ever will. I believe we might can formulate it, we might can put it in our mind, and if you're very artistic and you're very creative and you're very out there-ish with some of your creativity, maybe you can put it together to get it somewhat there. But I don't believe we'll ever be able to depict it. And so the challenge in this crazy passage of Scripture that really, I'll be honest, when I looked at it, I thought, how in the world can I preach this? If you and I will open up our minds and open up our hearts, find the glory in the cloud, then God will reveal himself to us in a way that can't be depicted either. Not just, we can look beyond this church. I'm not even, we ain't got to talk about this body. I'm talking about your personal life. Individually. If we would allow the Lord to rest his hand on us. And then it said he looked. Even after the Lord's hand was on him, he still had to look to see the cloud. They're in exile. They're in a place that really isn't any fun. Of the prophets, Ezekiel probably, in my opinion, had one of the hardest jobs of any of them. He could have put his head down. He could have tucked his tail between his legs and wallowed himself back to his little hole there by the Kibar River and called, curled up by a rock. It said, but when I looked, I saw a cloud. What are we looking for? I believe that, that the Lord's hand has rested on us. I believe we've experienced revival and the Lord has done something very special in us since the beginning of this year from our season of fasting and praying into this revival. God's timing was amazing. I believe he's let his hand rest on us. The question is, are we looking? And then the next question would be, when we see how crazy it is, are we going to take it for what it is? Ezekiel said, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what it would have been like to see this mess. I say mess because it's, it's hard for me. It's the glory of God. There's no doubt it's not mess. But Ezekiel said in verse 28, 
He said, all around him was a glowing halo. Like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. I love the fact that the, the culture that we live in did not create the rainbow. It doesn't make me mad to walk in Target and see the rainbow plastered all over the place. Because even though they think they're pushing forward an agenda, to me, they're pushing forward the promises of God. Amen. He said, this is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground. And I heard someone's voice speaking to me. Do we recognize the glory when we see it? You can go play something for me, please. Are we looking? I'm not talking about some huge master, wild, mind-blowing, boom, right in the history books about something that we've seen. I'm talking about McCayton getting up in the middle of the night being scared of the dark and allowing the Lord just in something so, so, so small just give a little reminder that says, hey, you no longer have to stand in fear. That's what the glory of the Lord looks like to me. Today, this morning, that was the glory of the Lord for me. When, if you had kids and you've seen them born, both of my babies came into the world in some little weird, with some way that wasn't quite right. Madeline was asleep. McCaden shouldn't have lived. I'm talking about you today, buddy. Madeline was drugged up on the pain medicine that they had given Micah. And when she was first born, her heart rate was so low they couldn't make her cry. She got her heart rate back, by the way. (laughs) I was scared to death as a daddy. I'd never done it before. I remember sitting outside with my dad outside the hospital. He said, son, just go get some sunshine. And for me, it was a dark cloud. Happiest time of our life. No doubt, but it's scary. I wasn't even the one having the baby, and it was scary. Because all of my life here on this earth was involved in this one situation. But when they ever got her to cry, (laughs) she had a beating before she ever really needed a beating, I guess. When they ever made her cry, God's glory shined and filled that room. When McCaden was born, 
as it got close to time for her to deliver. I'm talking, we're down now to the last hour. Somewhat right with his heartbeat. Every contraction she was having, they lost his heartbeat. Oh, well, it's that crazy little monitor. They can't find it. We'll just fix it and put an internal heart monitor on him. When she'd have a contraction, he'd lose his heartbeat. And it got to the point I'm standing beside the bed and I look at Micah's mom and I could see concern on her face. It wasn't the same as with Madeline. And the nurses start whispering and they start talking and I say, you want to let us talk about what you're talking about? Like, And so when McCaden is born, he's blue. And the doctor unwraps, and he unwraps, and he unwraps. And the nurse said, was that a double? He said, no, that was a triple. And I could see his face was not, same doctor delivered both these babies. He was not at all the same person when he delivered McCaden as he was when he delivered Madeline. We went on. And he cried, he woke up, he went on. And the head nurse come in later. I said, I'm just curious. You asked the doctor how many times he was wrapped up in that umbilical cord. I said, you said three. Correct? She said, I did. I said, and the face that you made when he said three was a face that looked like three was not supposed to happen. She said, no. I said, so why is my baby alive? I said, what are the chances that he was supposed to live by the textbook after being wrapped in that umbilical cord three times? She said, very, very, very few. Two, it's okay. Very few babies live when the umbilical cord is around their neck three times. That's what the glory of God looked like to me. I'm not Ezekiel. You're not Ezekiel. I hope and pray one day that me and you both see some crazy that would be some far-fetched to us beyond our blow our imagination out the water vision of God. But if we'll wake up and look Every day, with the new heart that we've been given, God will allow you to see His glory. There's glory in the middle of the cloud.
Would you stand with me? Father, there's no doubt that this text was a little bit unusual today. Lord, but it's in your word. And I believe that there was absolutely not a single verse put in there by happenstance. Lord, and though this small human mind can't necessarily comprehend what Ezekiel saw that day, Lord, I take that the principle for me is that just like you showed yourself to Ezekiel, you will to continue to show yourself to me. And God, if I open myself up to you, if I allow your hand to rest upon me and I will actively look, I'll be able to fill in the blanks of my own story of what your glory looked like to me. Touch our hearts, God. Family, when he saw the glory, he fell down to his face in worship. I believe the Lord is asking us of two things today. I believe He's asking us, first of all, to be actively looking in every situation, every circumstance, every place we go, everything that we get put in the middle of, everything it is, He's asking us to look. To seek the glory of God in every situation. Every cloud that rolls in, every thunderstorm, what appears to be a stinking hurricane, that He would ask us to find His glory right in the middle of it. And then I believe He's challenging us that as we find His glory, that as we see what the glory of God looks like to each one of us individually, that we would understand the importance of that, that we would understand the heart of God, we would understand that it's so, so very special that we would have received that vision of who God is and we would fall on our face and worship to Him. That we find those opportunities, we find those moments. I've looked back to that day many times when that nurse told me that my baby shouldn't have lived. And I think back to the feeling that overwhelmed me and how the Spirit of God just rested on me and I felt His peace. Many times I've gone back to that moment and just worshiped God for who He is, for His protection, for His provision, for the life that He gives, the breath that He brings, breathed inside of us. I want to ask you this morning as we've been given this new heart the Lord's given us new opportunities He's given us new life if you will 
I want to ask if you're willing to commit with me to actively seek the glory of God for yourself, for this church, and for the whole kingdom of God. If you're willing to commit with me that you'll do that, would you come and stand right here with me for just a moment? We're committing to seek out the vision of God, to seek out the glory of God in every circumstance, every situation. Many, many times we miss the miracle. We miss what God wants to show us. We miss... I bet there's many of you standing right here that could be a preacher if you would just write down what the Lord's done for you. Let's commit ourselves to finding the glory of every circumstance every day. Father, we're here right now, God. We've acted as a step of faith, Lord, a step of humility, a step of action. Lord, that we stand in this altar united together. Lord, because unity is one of your characteristics. God, we're here bonded together, Father, here in this time of prayer together, Lord, binding, agreeing, committing that we're going to seek your face. We're going to seek your glory. We're going to seek you in every circumstance, every situation. Lord, that we're going to do our best to find you and to find your, your word for us in every moment of every day. God, the things that appear to be storms, the things that appear to be dark, gray, black crowd, clouds, Father, we're determined that we're going to find your glory, your bright, shining spirit right in the middle of that cloud. God, we're going to keep note of those times. We're going to remember what it is that you've done for us, what it is that you've shown us, exactly what it is you want us to see. God, and we're going to worship you that you allow us to see your glory. Father, we commit that to you today. As the first part of this heart transplant, we agree now that our heart has changed, that our mind will change. And we will look for you in every place every season, every person that we encounter will look for you, Lord. And we'll praise you and worship you as you begin to show us your awesomeness. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.